here at Southern Hills Free Church. There we go. And it's a joy to open up God's Word with you. Before we dive into the sermon, I just want to take a moment personally to thank you all as a church for your support for Katie and I this week. As some of you know, Katie's grandfather passed away, and um, we're grateful for the many expressions of care and love that we've received from you all. So thank you. Now let's dive into the sermon. All of us, if we're honest, want to belong. We want to be valued. We want to be a part. We don't want to be the odd ones out, the ones who are by themselves on the playground or in the lunchroom, the ones who are on the outs at work or in the community. We all want to be valued and to be a part. And yet the reality is, as Peter has been showing us throughout the book of First Peter, is that if we are Christians, if we follow Jesus Christ, we will always, to some extent, be the odd ones out in this present world. We will always, to some extent, never truly fit in until Jesus Christ returns. Paul used the language of us being in the world, but not of the world. Peter uses language of us being strangers and exiles, those who are here in the world, but not with our citizenship papers, rather with our visas, our temporary resident status. And in Peter's day, the believers in Jesus were feeling the pressure of not truly fitting in, of being the odd ones out in their society. And Peter makes clear that that is not just the expectation for them then, but for us now. And so for us as Christians, we will always sort of be the odd ones out in this present world, in the society around us. Now, this reality could be crushing for us. It could be really discouraging for us. And it could have been discouraging for them as well. But Peter, here in our passage this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, makes clear for them and for us that even though we may not belong in this present world, we do belong, we do have a citizenship as the people of God. And so he encourages us that we have a noble identity, as the people of God, and we have a noble purpose to glorify Him in the world. So that's what we're going to look at. Our noble identity is the people of God, and our noble purpose to glorify Him in the world. Would you please turn in your Bibles to our passage this morning, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12, and would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Peter writes this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peter is writing, as we said, to Christians scattered throughout many different provinces. We see in 1 Peter 1.1, they're all over the place. Some are in the city, some are in the town, some are with a lot of other Christians, some are fairly isolated, probably, based on where they live. They're under increased pressure from the world around them, pressure that just a few years later would result in explicit persecution by the Roman Empire. And so they're feeling the force of being the odd ones out in their society. The force of being those who don't truly fit in, who are, as Peter puts it, exiles in this present world. And so Peter is writing to them, and he's writing to encourage them with the reality of who they are as God's people, but also to encourage them to pursue a way of life that brings glory to God. This morning we're going to look at two questions. Who are we as Christians? And why has God made us his people? Why has God chosen us? Who are we? And why are we who we are? The first question, who are we as Christians, is answered for us in verses 4 through 12. And there we're shown that we who follow Jesus are the people of God. Specifically that we are a spiritual house built on Christ. Verses 4 through 5, Peter writes this. He says, as you, and it's plural you, so he's writing to Christians, says, as you come to him, to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, plural, like living stones, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house. So he's writing to believers, those who have come to know Jesus, and he's saying, each of you are being built into one thing. You're being built into a spiritual house that's built on Christ. He uses the imagery of a stone house, or we in our day might think of a brick house. If you have one brick sitting there on the ground, it's just a brick, right? It's not a house, it's a brick. But if you take the bricks or the stones and you connect them together with mortar and you build them into something, it creates something more significant than the individual bricks. It builds into a house, something significant and useful, something important. Here Peter is writing to the believers and he's saying, look, you may feel alone in your world, you may feel like you're on the outs, you may feel isolated, but you, all of you, together are part of something incredible. Christians throughout the world, whether they're in Galatia or Asia, whether they're in South Dakota or Florida, Christians together across all of time and all of space are being built into something beautiful, into a spiritual house, 
And so each of us, on our own, is not a house. Each of us is just a stone or a brick. But God combines us together into something beautiful for his name and his glory. This house, we're told, is built on a living stone. It's built on a foundation, on Jesus Christ, the original living stone. And we ourselves, like living stones, like those who look like Christ, are being built on top of him. Now this imagery is a little bit strange, right? Stones aren't normally alive. We don't think of them that way. But here Peter combines this life imagery with stone imagery. Peter, excuse me. And he says that Jesus is the living stone on which we are built. We aren't just built on ourselves, we are built on Christ. Now this stone imagery is drawn from the Old Testament. In fact, Peter quotes three passages about Jesus being the living stone. In verse 6, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Then in verse 7, he quotes from Psalm 118. And then in verse 8, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah again. In those passages, God had promised that he would lay a stone on which he would build his people. And this stone would bring blessing and joy to those who believed in him. But he would also be a polarizing stone, a stone over which those who did not believe would stumble and fall. And so Jesus here, Peter tells us, is the stone. The stone that every person must reckon with. Will we believe in him and become like living stones built upon him into this spiritual house? Or will we reject him and stumble over him? Peter tells us that Jesus is this stone that must be dealt with and must be reckoned with. The cornerstone for those of us who believe, but the stumbling stone for those who reject him. A stone chosen and precious in God's sight, promised long ago in the past. Now this stone is a stone, he's the cornerstone, the one on which we're built, but he is also the living stone. He is alive and at work in the world. He is risen from the dead, and he has triumphed, and so our being built upon him is a result of his resurrection. Peter has already talked about how we have been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is through Jesus and through his life as the living stone that we are brought to faith. It is through Jesus and his life that we are built into a living house. A house that does things in the world. That acts on Jesus' behalf in the world. And so what Peter here is saying is that all believers, if you believe in Jesus, you have come to the living stone and we're being built on him. We are part of something greater than ourselves, the people of God, the church, throughout all time and space, and we are alive because of Christ's life. We are a house that does things, and that pursues things in the world. We are a living house, made up of living stones, built on the living stone. And so Peter says that we as believers, even though we may not belong in the world around us, belong to something significant. This is something we're going to get to celebrate in just over an hour when we do our baptisms at 12 o'clock down at the Brookside. There we're going to baptize Joe and JR and Julie and Zoe and Rob, and we're going to say they are part of us. 
They are living stones built on the living stone that is Jesus. They are part of something greater than themselves. We are part of one community, one family, one house built on Jesus. So if you are a Christian, your faith is not primarily just a you and God sort of thing. It is an us together, united as one house, with Jesus, living together as his church. We are part of something greater than ourselves. We belong to this spiritual house, even if we don't belong in the world around us. So the first thing Peter wants us to see is that we are something, part of something greater than ourselves. We are living stones built on Christ, the living stone. But this also comes with additional encouragement for us. Because Jesus is a chosen living stone and a precious living stone. And Peter makes clear to us that we as the living stones built on the chosen and precious living stone are ourselves chosen and precious in God's sight. First thing we see is that we are chosen by God. Notice the language used of Jesus in verse 4. He is a living stone rejected by men. So many stumble over him, many reject him, many do not embrace him. But in the sight of God, Jesus was the chosen living stone. The one who God, the Father, loves. The one whom he had appointed for his purposes in the world. And Peter uses this chosen language that is applied to Jesus, the chosen living stone, and he then goes and applies it to us, chosen living stones built on Christ. He's already done this at the beginning of the letter in 1 Peter 1.1, where he writes to Christians and calls them elect exiles or chosen exiles. It's the same word there. He does it again in our passage here. In verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He says, Jesus, the living stone, was chosen, and you who follow Jesus are also chosen living stones. The language here, the chosen race, is also from the prophet Isaiah. In prophet Isaiah 43, verse 20 through 21, Isaiah spoke of how God had chosen a people that he had formed a people for himself. So Peter here is using the language of God choosing his people in the Old Testament and applying it to us who believe in Christ in the New Testament. And then he also, with the royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession language in verse 9, uses the language of God choosing his people in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 19, right before the giving of the Ten Commandments, God had made a covenant, an agreement with his chosen people, Israel. And there he had told them that they would be his people, that they would be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and his treasured possession. Here Peter takes this language of God choosing his people in the Old Testament, and he applies it to us. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. He's deliberately drawing on the language of God choosing in the old and applying it to us in the new. He's saying, if you are a Christian, God has chosen you to be a part of his people, and we together constitute his chosen people, his beloved one, 
whom he cares for and who he has set apart for himself in the world. Now, why is this good news for us, that if we believe in Jesus, we are chosen by God? Well, remember the situation that Peter's fellow believers are in, that we are in in this world. We are the odd ones out. We are the ones who are not embraced in the world around us if we faithfully follow Christ. Jesus goes so far as to say, all men will hate you because of me. And so our status in the world is not one where we are beloved or chosen or cared for, largely by and large. But Peter here says, even though the world may reject us, God has chosen us. Even though the world rejected Jesus, God chose him. And though the world rejects us, God chooses us. And this is an encouragement for us in a world where we don't fit in, because it means that no matter how we're treated, no matter what the cost in terms of relationships or community, that we belong to God. And that will not change. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So we are a spiritual house being built on Christ. We belong to something greater than ourselves. And we belong because we have been chosen by God. But with this choosing comes a related and beautiful truth. We are valued by God. He sets a value he enjoys and cares for us. Verses 7 through 9, we're told this truth clearly. We're told that we are a people for God's own possession. Verse 9. This is Exodus language. It's drawing from that same passage, Exodus 19, verse 6, where God shows his people in the past. And in Exodus 19, God talks about how they will be his treasured possession. In the Hebrew, it's segalah. It's a word that means one's most valuable thing that one owns, like a family heirloom or a crown jewel. And God told his people in the Old Testament that he had chosen them, they were his people, and they were his special prized possession, the one on whom he had set their affections and the one whom he valued. The crown jewel in God's collection is his people. And so we who belong to him are his special possession. We are the people of God. We have been chosen by him, and he places a great value on us. He places a great honor on us as his people. Now, this honor is not because we are particularly lovely or beautiful in and of ourselves, not because we have earned God's favor in this way. In fact, Peter makes quite clear that God shows us not because of us, but in spite of ourselves. In verses, in verse 9, he talks about how, verse 10, excuse me, he talks about how we are, once we're not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. That once we were in darkness, verse 9, but God has brought us into his marvelous light. This again, and Peter does this all through the letter, is drawing on Old Testament language. This time from the prophet Hosea. You know that prophet? The prophet Hosea was a prophet who was told by God to marry an adulterous woman, to marry a prostitute. And then he was, to, the, he was told, your wife is going to cheat on you, she's going to have children, and when she has these children, I want you to call them not my people and no mercy. How would you like that to be your name? To have your dad call you not mine, not the one I love. 
God there was speaking of how his people in the Old Testament had abandoned him, how they had turned against him, how he was like Hosea, who was married to an adulterous wife who deserted him and disobeyed him and had children who were not his. And God was using that imagery to show the people then the depths of their sin, that they were not living as he had called them to live, that they were in darkness, that they were not his people, that they had not received mercy. But in the prophet Hosea, God had promised later on in the book that though they were not his people, he would make them his people, that though they had not received his love and his mercy, they would receive his love and his mercy. And so in Hosea chapter 2, God tells Hosea, go to your son that you've named, not my son, who's not really your son. Go to your son called not mercy, not beloved, and tell, tell not my son that he is your son. Tell not beloved that he is beloved, because that is the sort of God I am. I'm the sort of God who tells those who have abandoned me, who have rejected me, that they can come back to me, that I will show mercy to them, that, I, that they will be my people despite their sin and rebellion. And so Peter takes this language and he applies it to believers. He says, once we were in darkness, but God has brought us into life. Once we were not his people, we were sinful and rebellious against him. But now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, once we were not beloved by God, but now we have received mercy. God has taken us and made us his own. And so we as believers know that God didn't choose us because we were particularly lovely, because we were living in the light. He chose us in spite of ourselves and made us his own, and now we live in this place where we've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, from not his people to his people, from not shown mercy to shown mercy. And this, not only does he set things right, he says we're his prized possession. We're the ones he's chosen. We're the crown jewel that he loves and that he honors. Now, why has this change taken place? Well, it's because of Jesus, the chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who laid down his life for us, who sacrificed himself that we might be reconciled to the Father. And because he is the chosen and precious cornerstone, we then receive honor. There's a connection drawn here in verse 4. Turn to chapter 2, verse 4. We're told that Jesus is a living stone chosen by God and precious. We could also translate precious honorable or valuable in God's sight. It's also said the same in verse 6. It talks about how God in Christ has laid a cornerstone chosen and precious, and that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Then verse 7, he says, So the honor, and the word honor is from the same root word as precious in verse 4 and verse 6, so the honor is for you who believe. So he says, Jesus is the honored, the valued, the precious cornerstone, and through his work, and our faith in him, we become honored and valued living stones. We are built up on him as those chosen by God and valued by God because we're built on the living stone who is chosen by God and valued by God. Our honor, our glory, our value in God's sight comes because of what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection. It is through him 
that we go from darkness to light, from not God's people to God's people, from not shown mercy to shown mercy, to being his treasured and valued possessions. So this is good news for us in a world that Jesus makes clear, that Peter makes clear, will not honor us. Following Jesus is not the path to glory and respect and esteem in a world that is still in rebellion against God. Following Jesus will not lead to acclaim and value in our world until Jesus returns. But Jesus makes clear and Peter makes clear that if we follow him, we receive honor in the sight of God because we are built on the cornerstone that is honored and valued by the Father. So if you are a Christian, you are part of something glorious, something bigger than yourself. You are chosen by God. You are built on Jesus Christ, the chosen cornerstone. You are valued by God because you are built on the stone who is valued in his sight. And so we have great reason to rejoice, even as we are not experiencing the same reception from the world around us. So who are we? We are God's people built on Jesus, chosen by him, valuable to him. But there is also something more we need to see in this passage than simply our identity as Christ's followers. We need to know our purpose as the people of God. You see, God does love us. He has chosen us. He does value us. But he has chosen us not merely for our our sake, for ourselves, He has chosen us for his own sake, for his own purposes, to bring himself glory in the world. We see this clearly in verse 5 and in verses 9 through 12. In verses 4 through 5, we read that we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, and we ourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We've covered this a little bit already. But what is this house that we are a part of? What is the purpose of the building that we are? The house language here is temple language. Peter is saying that we are being built into something specific. We are being built into a temple. What are temples for? Temples bring glory to God. They are the place where we worship, where God's name is made known, where God's name is lifted up. And that is our purpose as the people of God. We exist to bring God glory in the world, including through our worship. Peter goes on in verse 5. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be something, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says that we, when we come to Jesus, are made part of something bigger than ourselves, And we're made part of something bigger than ourselves for a purpose. We are to be priests. What do priests do? They offer sacrifices in the Old Testament. They offer praise and worship to God. And so Peter here is saying that we as believers have a job to do. We have a purpose. We don't just exist for ourselves. We exist to offer sacrifices to God, to worship God, to bring him glory in the world. These sacrifices are spiritual sacrifices, and they are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So all of this is through Jesus. We are built on the foundation that is Jesus. Our offerings and worship are acceptable to God through Jesus. But this is our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God through our worship. 
That's one of our values in our light acronym, true worship. That is, when we gather together as a community, when the church universal gathers in the various places across space and time, we exist to glorify God and to worship Him. Worship is what we are to be about. When we sing, when we pray, when I preach, when you go about your lives throughout the week, you are going and living for the glory of God. You are offering sacrifices to God acceptable to Him through Jesus Christ. Paul goes as far in Romans 12 as to say that we offer our bodies, our whole selves, as living sacrifices to God. And so when God brings us together and builds us into this temple, builds us into this priesthood, He is doing so for a purpose, to glorify Himself. That is why God's people were chosen in the Old Testament. That is why we are chosen in the New Testament. We are chosen to belong to Him for this purpose of worshiping Him in in our lives. So we exist to glorify God. And we do that through our worship. We also do that through our witness. Verses 9-12. through We see that we glorify God through our witness both in word and in deed. Verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might do something, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why has God made us his chosen race, his chosen people? Why has God made us this royal priesthood, this holy nation? Why are we his treasured possession, the crown jewel? that we might proclaim His excellencies to the world around us, that we might tell others what He has done. We might tell how He brought us from darkness into His marvelous light, how He took those of us who were not a people and made us His people. We have a witness that we are to speak to others. We are to proclaim. The word proclaim is to herald, to announce to the world around us that we belong to God, that He is the merciful God, who chose us and made us his own, that he is the one in whom we find mercy. And so, as those who have been brought to Jesus, you can't just stay quiet. To stay quiet is to fail to pursue the whole reason God has saved you. You exist to proclaim his excellencies wherever you go to those that you meet. That's part of our mission as well, gospel sharing. That's one of our values as a church, right? that we want to be those who share and who proclaim what God has done, the type of God that He is, and the mercy that is found through the work of Jesus Christ. So as you come to Him, living stones built on Jesus Christ, the living stone, go and do what you've been built to do. Offer your sacrifices and proclaim with your words what God has done. But it's not just our words that we witness with. We also witness to God with our deeds. See this in verses 11 through 12. Peter, in verses 11 through 12, makes a pivot. And we'll go into more details of it next week. But he makes a pivot from worship in word, witness in word, to witness in deed. He says, Beloved, I urge you, as so strangers in this present world, to avoid certain things, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Because God has brought you out of death to life, out of darkness to light, 
and you're no longer supposed to live the way you used to live. Instead, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Gentiles here is the nations, non-Christians. Keep your conduct among the nations, among non-Christians, honorable. Why should they keep their conduct among the nations honorable? To bring glory to God. He says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter says, we're to proclaim the excellencies of God with our words, with our lips, with our mouth, but we're also to witness and bring him glory through our lives, through our good deeds. That is, we're to live as those who don't fit in, as those who are sojourners and exiles in this world, but we're to keep our lives honorable. We're to keep our conduct honorable. We're to live in such a way that even though the world might speak ill of us, when they're honest with themselves, they're like, yeah, we might have said those things about those Christians, but really look at their good deeds. That is, we're called to live our lives in ways that bring glory to God when Christ returns. That though a world that is hostile to Jesus, that when they see us, they might end up glorifying God, that they might come to know Jesus. And so Peter here gives us this picture of our identity as God's chosen people. But it's not an identity where we just hide our light under a bushel, where we just kind of keep to ourselves and live our lives in our little enclave, coming to church on Sundays, and never go anywhere in the world. Rather, we are God's chosen people. We're set apart for him. We're made a holy nation and a people for his own possession. But it's that we might bring him glory through our worship, through our words, and through our deeds. And so I want to encourage each of us to consider we belong to something greater than ourselves. We are part of the people of God. We are living stones built on the living stone. So let us be that house. Let us love one another. Let us care for one another. But let us do so in public. Let us offer our worship to God. Let us glorify him there. But let us proclaim his excellencies through our words. Let us proclaim his excellencies through our deeds. We have a noble identity. We are God's people, but we also have a noble purpose. We exist to glorify him. So let's do that as a church, and let's do that faithfully all the days of our life. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the living stone, chosen and precious in your sight. We thank you that through your work, we ourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to you. Would our worship be honorable to you? Would you see it as acceptable through the work of Jesus Christ? And would it be to your glorious praise? We thank you that you have made us your chosen race, your royal priesthood, your holy nation, that we are your people for your own possession. We pray that you would use us to proclaim your excellencies. Let others know how you have called us from darkness into your marvelous light. And we ask that you would, by your Spirit, help us to keep our conduct honorable in the world. And when the world sees us, they might see you. That they would see our good deeds and glorify you in Christ Jesus. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ.